Welcome to the Artist Academy podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Earhart, and May is Mural Month. Welcome to the best time of the year. All month long, you'll hear from master muralists to learn the tips to creating a thriving business painting large scale. I have handpicked each interviewee based on their expansive knowledge of the mural industry so that you can learn from the absolute best. Plus, I'm throwing in some solo episodes all about how to make money with murals. And if that isn't enough, I have created a full training for you all about how to grow your art business quickly using murals like I have. If you're listening this month and thinking, okay, let me see what this mural thing is all about. Or if you're wondering if you are able to create murals too, then go to artistacademy.co. That's artistacademy.co, not com. That was taken. Dot com was taken. <laughs> anyway, to learn how you can start making money in the mural biz. The majority of my income comes from murals and I want to help you get started too because I know how profitable they can be. So go to artistacademy.co <laughs> to claim your free training for the month of May. Woo! Welcome to Mural Month! This week's episode features Oregon-based muralist of 20 plus years, Annie Margarita. (laughs) I could talk about murals with Annie forever, for all day long, and we're gonna definitely have a follow-up episode because there's just so much more that we could chat about. But anyway, she has been around the block the time or two, aka the world. She's traveled the world with art (laughs) a time or two, painting murals, faux finishing, sculpting, and interior decorating. Annie kind of does it all. (laughs) She has built up her business up to charging 100 plus uh, easy per hour while working just a few days a week and a few hours a day. She makes her own schedule. She doesn't overdo it. And she still makes a great living with her art. We chat about painting for amusement parks like Disney and many other big names. I'm telling you, she's a big deal. She travels. She does. It's literally the dream. And I'm so excited to have her as a guest for May Mural Month because Annie is an amazing example of someone who has put in the work early. She's done it and she is now reaping the benefits of it. And you can too. Everybody can too. I think, I hope everybody should look at Annie as just an inspiration and it's just, she just shows what's possible. So let me know what you think of this week's episode with Annie Margarita. I found you in the mural artist group on Facebook and I was going through all your stuff and I'm like, man, this chick knows her stuff about murals. And so I'm so excited (laughs) to talk. It's my favorite subject. (laughs) So yeah. Oh my gosh. I love murals. I've been doing murals almost my whole life because I started when I was 13 I did one for the middle school. Yeah. And then I was a professional one since really 93, but I did a lot of murals in between there. I had a big mural uh, business down in Tucson, Arizona, and painted a lot of, when I was in Orlando, I was working for the theme parks and I was actually being a scenic artist and doing set design and animal containment for Disney and all that stuff. But I didn't really become a full-fledged muralist full-time until about 99 when I started my company. So I've been doing it a long time. <laughs> wow. Yes. Tell me more about this. So Disney, like that, that name, I'm like, whoa, tell, tell me, how did you get in with that? Well, it was weird. I was in the Marine Corps and because starving artists starve. So I didn't know uh, that I could make a living as an artist. In the Marine Corps, I started doing murals. (laughs) They always like, oh, you're an artist. We want a mural. So I got out and I went to Orlando and I applied at SeaWorld. And I was a scenic artist there for a while. And then I met a girl that was working for the Larson Company. And her brother was the contractor for Animal Kingdom's Animal Containment. So I applied to Larson Company and I worked my way up through the ranks. They hired me as a painter And they're like, well, we don't have anything for you to paint. Do you want to learn how to be a sculptor? And I was like, sure, I need a job. So I started sculpting the concrete for the rock work and artificial trees and all that to contain the animals. And I was really good at it. So then I started running crews and I worked 
Animal Kingdom, and I did, I was actually like a lead at SeaWorld doing Journey to Atlantis, and then I got a job working for Man Warrants. I worked on the World Expo Aquarium in Portugal, and I worked in Holland on the Blydorp Zoo and all these other zoos, and then I went back to Orlando for a while and uh, did another package on Animal Kingdom, the Asia package, and but when I was in Holland, actually, that was kind of the last job I did as a concrete artist. I hurt my shoulder bad. So I had to go back to Tucson. And I was like, well, what do I do now? So I went back to college to be an interior designer. But meantime, for money, I started doing murals. And it just expanded. I'm like, well, this is what I love. So I really became a muralist. And then I started doing faux finishing, kind of taught myself that. But I had already been doing the plaster, so I really went into Venetian plasters and I got a big account with Canyon Ranch and did all their remodels. And I really expanded into businesses and homes. I had like multi-million dollar homes. I was doing all the Tuscan stuff and it just kind of expanded and expanded. And I've kind of slowed down a little bit with that. I still love it. Now I'm teaching for the paint hive. So I'm working, this is actually the mural I'm working for an instructional video it should probably be released in a month or so and it's going to be yeah, this is just day three on it so it'll have a lot more detail for chinoiserie and plaster effects but i also do leather work so i do painted leather work and i do beadwork and i do interior design and all kinds of stuff because it all crosses over and i'm really happy to just do any kind of art yeah Wow. I love that. Oh, I'm so glad I am able to interview you right now. So thank you for taking the time to do this because I'm so interested in all of this. And this is just such a fun, man, you've had quite the career. What's your favorite? Is it murals or is it teaching now? It's like, what's top of the list? I like to teach because I think I feel like I'm kind of on top of my game and there's a new generation coming up and, and murals after the big slam back in 2008. There's not very many of us that stayed in business because of the economy. So I was able to stay afloat. Thank goodness my clients weren't affected as much because they were the upper millionaire status. They were still able to continue with their work. And I started teaching to kind of help people do it the old fashioned way. Because now you have a lot of tools that we didn't have like iPads and doing the squiggle style for layout and projectors. I didn't, I've never projected anything. I just learned how to work really fast. And sometimes I use a pumps pad, but not very often. Mostly I will do a graph instead of, you know, a, a projector, but there's so many tools now and there's a huge renaissance going on. And I'm really excited to see that the last couple of years, there's just been an explosion with murals again. It's great. Yeah, there it really has murals and like the street art stuff. And it's all, it's, it's a great time to be on social media with murals and all of that. Awesome. Okay. So I'm like, where do we start? Where was the tipping point that took you from hobby to professional artist? is typically the first question we ask. Well, I've sold paintings since I was in high school and I'm 55 now. So I'm kind of experienced. <laughs> yeah, very. Experienced. So um, yeah. I think people told me artists don't make money. And I was so afraid of it that I waited. I was in the Marine Corps painting murals. And, I'm, and I, I suddenly had a realization. I'm like, why is an artist in the Marine Corps at working as a mechanic? And I worked as a imagery intelligence doing dissemination. I was sitting there going, why am I doing this to myself? And that's when I realized I was an artist in 1993. I just said, I'm an artist and I'm going to make a living at that. So I went to work for the theme parks and you don't make very much money, but you get a lot of experience how that set painting and all that happens. And the way I got in there was building a portfolio, sorry, a portfolio. And that's your most important tool for getting in even if you don't have a client, paint a wall and paint it over, paint another wall because you're going to improve. And a lot of people are like, well, gosh, how can you paint over something you've created as well? Decorate your whole house. Don't marry anything. You're just going to keep improving. So I talked my way into the theme parks and then you get that on your resume and it just expands. I think just recognizing that was my skill set expanded my whole horizon. 
don't listen to other people. You know who you are inside, what you love to do. And so long as you're learning and you're improving and you're, and you're working hard, you have to have a really pretty good work ethic to be a muralist because nobody's going to boss you around and say, do this, do that. You've got to go in there. You've got to get the client. You've got to do the advertisement. You've got to have the skills. You have to have actually the flexibility because clients aren't going to want exactly what you want. But in order to have good clients and repetitive clients and clients that will build from room to room, I've had clients that did their whole house. Once I got in that, did that one room, you do your whole house by selling up. And I've, I've gone over that. I have a video, how to contract murals with the paint hive that junior muralists could probably learn quite a few tips on how to sell yourself and how to sell more. Because if you get in somebody's house and they want just a mural, you go, well, I learned full finishing because they're like, well, what do you think I should do with the furniture? What do you think I should do with this wall? What do you want? I'm like, wow, this is a whole nother thing. So I went and got my interior design degree. And then I'm like an educated specialist uh, on walls. I didn't hardly ever design a kitchen. I went in there and other interior designers would come in and say, what color? Because you have to have color classes in interior design and in art classes. So really learning how to mix color, you learn about the color spectrums and you learn about complementary colors and you become more of a color specialist as a painter. So that was a really strong point. So you make a lot of friends, work for one interior designer, show her your portfolio, find another designer, show your portfolio, and then you get bigger clients. There's a borderline with how you pay to get work. Sometimes you tell a client, well, if you get another mural, I'll cut a little off or I'll throw in some faux finishing or something like that. Well, with interior designers, you say, hey, you get me a big job and I'll give you 5 or 10%. And that helps them. They sell you. It's kind of if you're in a store, they're going to upcharge you 100%. Well, I don't let my interior designers upcharge me. I just give them a cut because if they upcharge you, you don't know what's going on. You say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to charge the client myself. And then they have to trust you that you'll give them a little payback. Yeah, I love that. Just giving people incentive to to recommend you could, I mean, be the, the thing that pushes you above all the other artists locally mm -hmm. in town. I love that. How so you mentioned how you're pitching yourself. Is that how you got a lot of your mural jobs in the beginning? Is it word of mouth now? Did you pitch yourself in the beginning? Actually, I found a really good tool and it's called a home show. And oh. um, yeah, if, if you go to a home show, and we had a really good one in Tucson, Saba, Southern Arizona Home Builders Association. And I contacted them directly and said, hey, I'm a muralist. Would you like a live demonstration during your home show? And so they're like, oh, yeah, live. So you do a live and they give you free space and you have your cards printed out. And so people visit you. I'm, the first home show, I contracted $65,000 for the clients that I got at that home show. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this every year. I did the Denver one, I've done Scottsdale, I've done Aspen, I've done all kinds of home shows. And then also a lot of home shows have awards. They'll give out awards, oh, favorite, public favorite and all that. And so you get awards and then you can put those on your resume, been awarded. And then you meet builders, you meet more interior designers. And so then I worked on Pray to Home shows so then my stuff was featured and then you people start recognizing you and you get some print material like I've been in some magazines and stuff and if you want to be in a print take some pictures of your stuff and write an article about yourself and send it into a newspaper or whatever I've only had to do that a couple of times usually they um, contact me and then when you get in I found clients will say well yes I'm going to recommend you to somebody else, they don't want their muralist painting somebody down the street. So <laughs> that is a thing too. Oh, that is such a thing. I painted for this one guy um, in this really nice neighborhood, and he's admitted to me before. He's yeah, I don't really like when my neighbors like have the same contractors. That I'm just like what? <laughs> like, what? Mm -hmm. It's weird. But yeah, not everybody's like that. I guess it's just you know. Well, uh, it's I've never really been 
referred by one of my clients. I, I really never have. They've shared this stuff, but they've never, I've never really contracted. I did have one street in Saddlebrook, Arizona, though. For some reason, everybody got my name there. And I was just marketing a little bit there, but I had uh, one of the streets, I think I had six clients on. And I don't, they didn't know each other, maybe two of them, but I called it my street of dreams because I made so much on that street. <laughs> I love that. So, you know, we've mentioned a couple of prices. We love to talk about money here on the Artist Academy podcast and just like murals because murals is it's one of the most lucrative things to do in art. I'm a heavy pusher of it. And so let's talk about money. How much do you charge for a mural? Like how much do you like, is it, do you price for square foot or by time? Or you just kind of give a bit or what's your, how do you price? I, I price square foot. I think okay. that's the only fair way. I do not cut prices to cheaper houses. I'm always, this is my square footage. Money is the object. The faster you are, the more money you make. Now, in the heyday, when, the, when Tuscan was hot and when Venetian plasters were hot, there's a lot of products now. And I'm actually doing murals with golden products now. They have theme paints. They have plasters. They have all kinds of stuff. So I'm using their line right now. Plaster was going, I was charging $20 a square foot for plaster. And I would do a bathroom in, you know, a week for 15 grand. That's good money. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in Tucson, back in the heyday, before the big slam, twenty to $40,000 a month. <laughs> My best year was 2004. I think it was $230,000 as a muralist and faux painter. Woo, you go, girl. Yeah. <laughs> so the money is there. You want to do high-quality work. You want to be on time. You want to be very dependable. It's the most important thing is having people comfortable with you being in their house you do a bid I found too and this is a really this is really kind of sad but if you give somebody a deal like a discount and they know that you're discounting them for some reason those clients kind of turn ugly don't discount unless you've been in there a while then you can say you can judge the client yes they're going to give me more work it's worth it I've had clients where I will give them a faux room because they spent $80,000. I'm going to give them something. But discounting, like somebody, you bid something at 2500 And how do you price? Okay, this is really important. If somebody's got a budget, they're not going to really tell you how much they want to spend. You've kind of got to figure that out. So I go in and give them tier pricing. So if I measure out the wall, say they have 1,000 square feet. This is easy. Okay. They want a high detail mural over the top. They want all this detail and everything. And it might be, let's say $50 a square foot of high detail. Well, are they gonna spend $5,000 on, I'm sorry, $50,000 on a thousand square feet? No, they're not. What is your low ball price is gonna be maybe $8 is a really an industry standard for huge walls. Okay. It's not real comfortable for, you know, 1,000 square feet for $8,000. It depends on what you're comfortable with. I give them a high ball, medium, and a low. And so you say, well, you can get this much for this price, this much for this price, and this much for this price. Well, usually they pick the medium because the high is always too high. And they don't, you don't, somebody that wants a lot of detail doesn't want bare minimum. And then you can also adjust it, say, okay, you want all this detail in this area, but I can do sky and airbrush sky, which will be boom, boom, quick. So you can charge $15 a square foot for that big sky and then $50 a square foot for the high detail. And then you put that in the bid, but you don't break it up and, and say, this is what this is all is until they say, why, um, is this cheaper? But usually you can say, well, it's general, generalized. Because if you make an itemized thing, they're going to pick and choose and pick and choose and pick and choose, and then it's going to be really complicated. So I do rough sketches. I say, this is going to be all sky, and this is going to be where your peacock is, and blah, blah, blah. So that's the way you can get, because I think I had about a 97% chance that I was going to get a, ch a check out of the me first meeting. 
About 97% because you know that they want something. And if they say, well, I have to wait for my husband to okay this, and it's okay, they're not going to probably get this mural. Okay, so don't let it bother you. If they say that's just, they're comparing with other muralists, maybe, but you're going to get that. Don't yeah. let it bother you. But Do you, t you take a deposit before you start? Always. 50%. 50%. Okay. And if it's a really big mural, then I'll do thirds, but never start anything. And I always try to make my price. And this is kind of touchy too, but if you make your price worth it for the 50% that you do the mural for 50%, then you consider the other 50% is just the gravy. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ever shortchange yourself. Cause if somebody says, Oh, I got this mural for 500 bucks. The next person's going to say, well, my friend said that you got, you gave them this for 500 bucks and you are going to be known as, you know, the, the discount artist. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it's hard um, to climb up. It's easy to settle down on a price, but it's really hard to build up if you're starting out really inexpensive. Even if you don't have the confidence, at least boost it above your comfort level because okay. chances are that you probably will get that. If they want, if they've seen your work and they want your work, price it, market standards, and you probably will get it. Okay. So you're saying just to recap, like, I love this, this approach, the three tiered approach. So bottom level, $8 per square foot, top level, $50 per square foot. And then, okay, or we can kind of meet in the middle at 20, 25, whatnot, and you can get, and that's mostly where people go. Okay. That's and, a great... Well, it, that is what my price is. Now, that's in an area where murals are popular and there's a lot of muralists, okay? There's areas like New York where you're going to, your top price is going to be way higher than that. Mm -hmm. So you really have to do the research in your area. And then everybody can't compete with me. So a lot of people are like, oh, she's too expensive. So it's, you have to either have a lot of work for less money or you have a minimal work for money that is good money. So yeah, it's, it's, you can't just say eight to $50. And it's also according to what it is. If I'm going to do a highly detailed old world master, it's like who, how many people can do that? Well, not very many. So you can charge more for it. I love that. Where are you located? I'm actually in Eugene, Oregon right now. Okay. I've actually, our home was involved in the holiday farm fire back in the Labor Day last year. Oh, and wow. I lost my entire house and my entire studio. <gasps> so yeah, everything, all my inventory, all my tools, all my clothes, everything, all my everything. So we're finally rebuilding. As you can see, I have a temporary studio going now. This is, I've only done a couple of things so far because it's, you have to recover. It's shocking. And you have to pace yourself so that you can feel comfortable with your career again. So a lot of my time right now is clean up and designing a new beautiful house that'll have a studio upstairs. Everything, every cloudy day has a silver lining, I think, but yeah, it's been a little rough here with COVID oh. too. Oh my gosh. I guess just to look on the bright side though, this is a chance for you to just start fresh. I'm sure you had so much stuff in there that was just maybe like little old paint or whatever and just old paintings that I don't know. And now you get to start fresh and build new. Oh man, that's so exciting. <laughs> it is very exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. Thank awesome. goodness we were insured. <laughs> that's another thing. You get business insurance. Yep. Renter's insurance. <laughs> Cover your equipment because if we wouldn't have insurance, starting from rock bottom isn't any fun. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, okay. And a lot of businesses, I know a lot of construction sites and stuff, like they, they won't even hire you if, and if you don't have the proper insurances. Like you can't even come on the site to paint. And you can get a rider on home insurance if you have it. But I always carried $3 million insurance when I won't go into somebody's home. And now I don't have to pay extra for that. You just say to your insurance agent, when something comes up, say, hey, I need a rider. And then you just, you have that in your, but you don't want to be in a house without insurance, if, especially if there's other contractors and somebody throws an oil rag down and it starts a fire 
And they're like, were you using oil? I'm like, no, I don't use oil paints in people's houses. Oh, so. I love this. So my, my husband is actually an insurance agent. And so he's always harping on me about this. And I'm like, because I'm like, I'll sometimes forget to have him sign a contract. And like, he's, you have to do this because that it puts in effect your insurance. And it's exactly like you said, if something happens, because if other contract people are doing the floor and something happens, that way we're not liable just having all of that. So I'm really glad you said all of that. And, and another big thing is you're in somebody's house make sure to tape and protect their floors and all their other walls. And I went and I was doing touch-up at the very end in one of my clients' house, a really good client that I've been on there several times. And they have white carpet and you're just touching just little teeny things. And I put a little teeny, teeny blue spot on their rug and tried to clean it and turn it into a big spot. So you hire a rug cleaning company get over there today and get that cleaned up for them. Don't ever, if I, oof, I no, I didn't do it or anything like that. No, I, I'm going to take care of this for you. Leave it clean. Yeah. Take, take care of your space. Have insurance. Always, take, take a deposit. Yeah, always pick up all your tools, put them in, ask for a place in the garage, pick up your tools every day. Maybe not strip your paint and your paper. You're not going to have to do that, but roll up your, Tarps. I had been operating in Tucson. Scorpions would get under your tarps. So roll up your tarps every morning. Oh, you know, oh or, my you know, every evening. Yeah. Oh, wow. And keep their house nice. Keep their house nice. Because you're being, you know, I, I was in some houses for six months. You're going to have a working relationship with people. Keep their house nice. Yeah. Yeah. Be on time. They got to be on time. But they don't want to sit there and wait for you. After a while, they'll give you the key to their garage. Or like, passcode and you just go in there and then it's then you get a little you know that oh, i get a coffee break <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of people i was painting at a recent one here lately and it was the first day she met me and i think it's mostly because she follows me on instagram she's like, this is my garage coach like i already trust you I'm like, <laughs> I'm like okay it's very like midwest style though like mm -hmm. people just come into my house we don't care but yeah <laughs> well and that's the great thing about social media too is they can see they you already tell them who you are by what your social media is. I have my personal site. Some of my stuff on my personal site, I I'm just love crazy posts, you know, and memes and stuff. So you have to kind of nip that in the butt, with, especially when you're marketing, until people really know who you are. Yeah. Come, come across pro professionally <laughs> and positively and all of that. Every, people are watching. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. So... How many hours do you spend per day painting or now you're teaching, but whenever you would do, say you do a mural for a whole week, how many hours do you paint per day? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a full-time week in years and years. I, since Ooh. working for myself, but that's working in somebody's home. Say I get there. I don't like going there first thing in the morning. I know a lot of contractors, plumbers and all those guys, they'll go in at seven. I'm like, no way. I'm not even ready to paint at seven. So I show up at nine and I push until I don't take lunch because I feel like creatively, if I eat, then I don't feel really good to paint. So I don't take that hour break unless I'm doing faux. Faux is different. I can punch through faux to keep going, but maybe five hours of good mural painting is a lot for me. Because I'm doing it, it takes a lot of thought pattern. When I was working for the theme parks, I was working, I remember when I was running crews, I was working 70-hour weeks. You have to when you're working for the theme parks. When you're working for yourself, if you price yourself well enough, you don't have to work 40 hours. When I was, that big year that I had in 2004, I had three days off. Mm -hmm. So other end of the spectrum, do you want a, a lot of money or do you want a lot of time? You gotta, you gotta find out what's best for you. So true. So true. Cause we, I had a really busy year a couple of years ago where I was just like money hungry working and then it just, it burns you out. And now I'm at that point where you are. I'm like, well, how much do I really need? Like how I don't mm -hmm. need to work a, like a crazy amount to the muralists make good money. So I'm just like, okay, it's my business. 
maybe. And so mine is, I also show up at seven or I also show up at nine o'clock in the morning, whereas all the electricians and stuff, they're there at seven. I'm like, you guys, that's cool, but not me. And then leaving by four, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I do seven hours a day. I'm like, I'm not doing eight. I don't want to. And so I love that you said five. I'm like, yes. <laughs> well, some days are different, but I've never painting murals. I just can't. I just, my brain gets fried. Maybe I'll do something else, like prep a room for a foe or something in the afternoon. But I won't paint that long. And foe, too, you get exhausted. Well, with foe, you do one room at a time, usually. And you have to wait in between coats. So sometimes you're doing a color wash, takes you two hours. And you have to let it dry 24 hours. So it's like, okay, see you later. And the people are like, (laughs) nothing I can do. You want me to just stand here? Yep. <laughs> waiting on the paint to dry. <laughs> yep. Yep. Waiting on the paint to dry. Yeah. I don't know how many days where I painted the background, the bottom base color. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go have a long lunch or something because I just can't do anything. They're like, okay, whatever. And I'm just like in the middle of the day hanging out. <laughs> and I do have to say, I, I did this museum in Russellville, Arkansas. It was for a new interactive like children's thing for the lake there. And they wanted me to do a lake mural with lots of animals and stuff. And back then, that was in the beginning of my career where I was airbrushing a lot of stuff. And in order for you to keep it flowing, we didn't have the product they have now. Now they've got really great paints, but we were throwing latex through an airbrush and it would clog if you didn't water it down. So I'd be airbrushing. And Arkansas was very humid and it wouldn't dry. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had 10 days because I went out there with a flight. It's, you have to know. They didn't have any, I didn't know how to put kicker in the paint or anything. So you kind of learn. So that was a little intimidating. Am I going to be able to finish this? So in the beginning, you're airbrushing and kind of waiting and waiting. And then I went to the brush work and then I'm like working all night. <laughs> I had to make up for that slack time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it can get kind of crazy too. And I, as like, you're talking and you're like, I, so I used to work for Bass Pro Shops and we were like, it was basically like the, like the amusement parks. And so we would do 60, 70 hour weeks. And just so now I got to ask because Bass Pro, I have friends with, do you know, Andy, he was, he used to work for Larson, but anyway, I did the Rancho Cucamonga Bass Pro with the waterfall. Really? I wasn't at that one. I was in, I was in Canada at that time, but while like I, I had the same time, so there was like two or three stores going at once, man. Okay. So do you know like Mark Davey or um, Pietro? I know the name. Yeah. Mark Davey. Yeah, like Pietro. Yeah. Pietro, yeah. yeah. So that's really <laughs> interesting because they actually, when I was there, they offered me a job as a muralist and that oh. was back. Mm-hmm, that was back in uh, five years ago. No, it was must have been 2006 or something like that, 2007. Oh, that that was before my time then. We, they, uh, I, I know that they did a Rancho Cucamongo store, though. Or Yeah, it's so, huge. Oh, of course, yeah. it's, it's, or, a, or they it's really it nice. Or something. Okay. Oh, did they? I think so. I don't know. It seems, yeah, it, I, I still have my ranch in Colorado, so it was 2007 probably. Okay. But they offered me a job, I think, for $90 an hour. You guys make big bucks, right? 90 yeah. bucks an hour? Because I was pretty inexperienced. I started out at 45 and then slowly kind of went up from there. But ne- I never got around to 90 because I, I, wasn't, I just wasn't that experienced at the time. But yeah. Well, they offered me 90 and I said no. <laughs> They're like, what? I was yeah. like, yeah. I was like, I have my own business and I make 125 to $750 an hour and 90 just doesn't seem enough. I don't want to work that many hours it's a lot <laughs> like, yeah yeah that that was my first introduction but 45 is really good money too and you're doing fun and you're seeing the world yeah. I didn't make 45 dollars an hour doing rock work you yeah know, but I loved it I was living in Europe doing rock work for 35 or something plus per diem and housing so yeah. Yeah, I thought I had struck a gold mine because I was like 24 when I first got it and on there and I'm almost 32 now so it was a while ago but I was like I'll do whatever I don't care that's fantastic (laughs) yeah that's fantastic I wish I would have gotten into it when I was 24 oh my god Disney has been like on my dream list for so long I've talked to a couple (laughs) artists who have worked there and how was that how was your experience with that 
<laughs> I talked to artists. I never worked. It. I worked for SeaWorld directly. And I didn't work for Disney directly, but I knew a lot of people that worked at Disney. I knew a lot of the Imagineers and I knew guys that went from the contractor side over to the Imagineers. But I also know I Disney. Heard they, they didn't pay very well. Really. They, no, the working <laughs> so, in the theme parks doesn't pay. Yeah. The, the contractors will pay you. But like when I was a scenic, and this was back in 93, I was a scenic artist at SeaWorld and I was making eleven fifty an hour. Oh. And the actors that were in the set, they were making like 20 and they're all laughing at me. And I'm like, yeah, but I get all this overtime. I was so happy to make overtime. So I actually made more than they did because I was doing 30 hours of overtime. But it's a dream job. Do it. But you'll know that you would rather have your own company. Because if you have your own company, you have all the freedom you own your rights to everything. Disney owns all your rights. I was not allowed to photograph anything working at Disney until the park opened, and then I could photograph my own work. You weren't allowed. You still aren't allowed. They they own your work. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, yeah. That, that it's a good training field, way. though. Yeah. The, the Imagineers trained me to to carve rock work, and I'm very grateful for that because it is the creme de la creme. Disney is the place to be if you want to learn all that stuff it is i would do it all again it was fun and it it was cool when i was working at SeaWorld because you got orlando's so populated with people that work in the parks and everybody gets free passes so you could your friend works at disney and this friend works at universal so you're like well i want passes for universal can i trade you and so you always could go to the theme parks when you had time if you had time but if you had time yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. and just to see that and to be in that atmosphere and working backstage at all those places you learn all the really cool things about the theme parks yeah yeah, it's definitely a learning experience. I remember they, they didn't need painters for a full like month. And they're like, well, can you make a tree? I'm like, I'll learn. <laughs> oh, so that's they, fantastic. Yeah, they taught me how to make a tree. I'm like, cool. And we like foamed That was Bass Pro then, or? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did a lot of trees. Yeah. Those, those are fun. Yeah, because yeah. you just get to, you mold it and then you paint it. And it's just that there's a whole art to, it's definitely a whole like instructional thing to like sculpting rather than painting. But it's so awesome that you can, you learn how to do all of that. And you have interior design, which I'm just blown, mind blown because so many <laughs> of my clients are like, what do you think of this? But asking the interior design questions and I'm like, I don't know. Like, man, what? So you're wanting, you're inspiring me to maybe make a, take a couple of interior design classes or something because you're right. It is all intertwined. Sculpting, painting, interior design, it all mm-hmm. goes together. And, and it's actually theme rooms after being in the theme parks and then you learn the theming. It's really fun to be able to go in a kid's room and have a bunch of ideas. And I do want to emphasize, since we're mentioning Disney a lot, I try to tell artists to stay away from doing the princess stuff, the Disney characters. People want those Disney rooms. And the way I talk them out of it is you say, look, let me do a landscape. And if you really want Disney princesses on there, we'll get the stickers and you put them on there. And then when they grow out of it, then you peel the stickers and you have a beautiful landscape. That's one way. Or you say, well, let's generalize. She wants a princess, but let's make her the princess. Do her in the Disney style. You can't really put those online, the Disney characters. That's the, they go after people. Be very careful with the plagiarism thing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And Disney owns their characters and they don't like people owning their characters. So if you're going to do it, don't put it in your online portfolio. Because yeah. do the things that you want to do, because if somebody sees you did a, say you did, I don't know, what don't you like to do when you paint? What people. don't you like to paint? I don't, you don't like, like to, to do people. Paint. So don't put any people in your portfolio. Yeah. Because you're going to have to, people are like, oh, you know how to do that. <laughs> I love doing, I, and actually I didn't like doing portraits until I took an oil class. And oil is so much easier to do the shading and the modeling and all of that. You might really like portraiture if you take an oil class. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Maybe in the future. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Go with it. Find a nice instructor. It's worth a couple hundred dollars. So you're going to, you're going to have to buy the oil paints, but really 
expand, always expand because you never know what you can bring into your tools. It's important to have a huge scope of tools. So when somebody asks you to do something and you're broke and you can do it. True. True. So speaking of teaching, so you teach through the paint hive. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, these girls set up this company last year. They had it in the works for a couple of years, but they've hired a lot of really good instructors, international instructors for uh, decorative paints and murals. And I think they even have some pottery and things on there. Check them out, the paint hive. And the classes aren't real expensive. And they're having a sale right now, 25% off. It's a perfect time to go over there and parouse. I wish I was supposed to put do my this mural back last summer, but of course I got slowed down with all that. So this will be in the repertoire, I'm hoping for May. But there's some really fabulous work in there for decorative painters, stenciling and all kinds of plasters and stuff like that. Everybody knows how to YouTube now. It's really good to educate yourself on different styles and try it. Just try it. And if you're not, if you don't take a class, then you have to learn it a certain way. My portfolio is completely different then say you go to a faux finishing school and they teach you these boards and they teach everybody the same boards. So your portfolio is not going to be any different than uh, somebody else that took that. So you have to know, okay, I'm going to take these skills and you got to change them up so that your portfolio expands. If you teach them, if you teach yourself how to do things, then your stuff's going to look original anyway. So true. I might have to see if I can collaborate with you guys. I run the Artist Academy, and so we teach and stuff, in, but we have no faux finishing stuff in there. Oh. I think that would be an amazing thing to have. So I'll talk to you a little bit about that. You see this chinoiserie that I'm building back here? Mm-hmm. That's got faux finishing underneath it. And the great thing about faux finishing is, especially if your client wants a huge room done, you don't just have to do mural work. You can do faux and then put the mural on there. And then it's, it adds way more flavor, I think, than just doing a mural. And oh, then you can tie it in. Yeah, you can tie it in with other idea. rooms. Yeah, I think it's just a way to make walls look more expensive, too. Like that, you, you see faux finishing in really rich homes. You don't really see it in more basic stuff. So. And the plasters. Look into the plasters. There's a lot of really good money in plaster. And it's... I had one, I can't, I can't remember his name now, but a gentleman that w- had a show on HGTV actually saw my work at the Denver show. And he's, plaster is one of the things you can put on your wall that will actually add value to a house. Venetian mm. plasters. So that stuff's pretty expensive to buy, even like a, a big gal or a five gallon bucket of Venetian plaster is several hundred. Well, $65 and up. It depends on if you get the real stuff from Venice. They have a lot of good product. Golden has some really good product. Bear has product. A lot of the stuff that I was using too was like Modern Masters and they're not, Golden's taken over Modern Masters. So that's good. So what you get with Golden is actually better than Modern Masters faux effects. There's a lot of uh, different companies and you'll learn like sometimes I can't get a product and I have to use somebody else's product. I'm like, wow, I like this better. Learning by doing is what my German friend says. Learning by doing. Oh, I love that. Learning by doing. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm very interested in the faux finishing things. I did our bathroom just to kind of hang out or just try out different plaster stuff. And it turned out pretty good. And then I just like got on to murals again. But yeah, it'd be really nice to go back and just do that faux finishing stuff and get it. Because really like my typical mural price is about $20 per square foot. And so Mm -hmm. to get that for just doing some faux finishing, pop in some headphones, listen to music all day and just do the thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sounds pretty good. Oh, yeah. It's more physical, though. Yeah. And you're going up and down, up and down. It's a lot more. You'll be more athletic, especially if you faux finish a ceiling. Oh, my gosh. That's when my old ladiness goes, "Ah, I'm not getting on the 20 footers anymore. 10 footers, maybe ceilings. No, it's especially with, I did all the concrete work for all so many years. It's yeah, it's too physical. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it is physical. I just did a mural on the ceiling where I painted a bunch of geese and clouds, and then I had them raise it up high enough to where I was like three feet from the ceiling, and I laid down that way. It's awesome. I just tried, but you can't move around very much. You know, it was good. And for it's hard geese. to see your palette. You were only using one color, right? Doing that? So were you trying I, I to was, mix? I was painting geese, so I would just kind of like right here, like have it by my shoulder, mix it, put it on there. But it was like a like a three or four color palette. It wasn't anything crazy. And we, I wasn't moving around very much, but I just wanted to try it. The construction guys thought I was nuts. <laughs> They're like, you have insurance, right? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like, just put me up there. <laughs> I, I got to do that with trees in, at Disney. I laid down on the scaffolding and carved the underside, and that was fun. Oh, my gosh, so cool. <laughs> you get concrete in your eyes sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh, Light, Life of a Muralist. It, it, it is very physical. It is, and just and in heights and all of that stuff. And I think a lot of people don't think of that. When are, are you scared of heights at all? What, or, and what is the highest you've ever painted of? I think the scariest that I ever had was I was up on a 20-foot extension ladder that was in a store, so it had to be propped up against the aisle. So it was very steep. Mm. And that was, I had to put, in God we trust. <laughs> That's what I was doing. <laughs> I was like, okay, I can do that. So in God we trust, that's what I did. But at Disney, they probably won't like to hear this, but it was so long ago. We were doing the animal containment for Asia package and they had delivered the dirt inside the containment. So we had three stories of plaster or three stories of scaffolding, the pipe and plank scaffolding. So it was really high. And one of the Imagineers, I'm not going to mention him, said, I dare you to jump into that pile <gasps> from the top. And I was like, okay. <laughs> of course. So I was like, I will, you will. He goes, okay. So we stood up on top of the scaffolding and jumped into the, the pile of dirt, which it was only like a probably 10 or 12 foot drop. And it was fluffy, soft dirt. But mm. yeah, I'm not afraid. I'm like, <laughs> we, you know, I'd stand on, and I fell through scaffolding. Thank goodness I have big hips because there was a little hole in the scaffolding where they were supposed to nail a board to cover it up because when you're doing plank scaffolding, you don't, sometimes it doesn't jive when you go around a corner. So there's a hole and I fell through the hole, but my <gasps> hips were big enough where it stopped me from going all the way down three scaffoldings. So that was kind of scary. And then in Portugal, I had to climb up. You're climbing up the steel reinforcements when you're building them in laughing and stuff and you're tying all the stuff and, but the they don't have OSHA over there, and they don't have the same kind of construction standards as us. So I'm climbing it up, and it's pencil rod. It's not even three-eighths inch iron. It's pencil rod, and all of a sudden, they're like, snap, <laughs> snap, snap. When you're going, you're climbing it up, and it's, you always have a foot and a hand and, a, like, two hands or two feet on at all times because of the snap. I am loving these stories, though. Do you, do you have any <laughs> muralist stories of things that go wrong or things that went really well or just funny? Or I'm loving these oh, stories. <laughs> yeah, I have one that's funny. My mom and my sister were kind of on my crew at different points, and one time uh, mom moved a ladder she had put a bucket of paint on top of a six-foot ladder and moved it and it came crashing down on her head and there was tarp and we had to pick up the tarp like a diaper and shuffle her out the door into the dirt so that we could clean her off oh. and we didn't get a drop on the floor but oh my god thank god we recovered with tarps and checked for holes Take your holes with duct tape because you don't know when you're doing it yourself. Always put your bucket in a corner where you can't kick it. And if you have your, if you have an open paint bucket, always have it in your hand. Don't put it down. Or you can hook it. If you're on top of a ladder, you can hook it on the bucket hook. But don't put that bucket down because that's when, that's when bad things happen. <laughs> Oh, great, great tip. I love it. Yeah, I've spilt basically a bucket of red paint going through a store one time and I spilt it and I was on the lift and it just trailed. I'm like, no, oh, no. <laughs> of course it's red. <laughs> like, I did somebody's driveway once and, and had to power wash it and stuff, but yeah, it never really came all the way. Uh, driveways are like concretes or like that. I've done that with blue paint. It, yeah, right? it's yeah. asphalt. Uh, it just went right into the cracks. It makes you more careful next time. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's why it's always best to ask where you're going to put your clean out stuff. Make sure you clean your sink too, boy. I've had people work for me and they'll scratch their sink <laughs> or they'll, you know, leave paint on the wall where they're washing and there's paint on the wall. So you got to touch that up at the end because your <laughs> worker wasn't doing their best. Yeah. How is it for you having people work with you? Because I'm at this level right now where really booked and I could really use someone working with me, but I just, I'm like, I try it and then show up late and then they don't do it how I would do it. And I'm like trying to be patient. It's just this whole, I go back and forth with it. What's your take on that? I was so lucky that my sister's, she was a housewife and she wanted to get back into the workforce. And I trained her to be my patriot, my, what are they? Go-to. Yeah. yeah, we were, we were called the Palomino sisters at that point because we were both blondes oh. at that point. But we worked together for about 10 years and I was kind of the front man kind of thing. And she's a meticulous Virgo. So she was very good at keeping track of what was taped and what was dropped and all of that. And then I taught her to imitate my style and the faux finishing. So it was so much fun to go to work with my sister. But we both got older and it was harder and harder to do the faux. When you get in your 40s, you just can't do this. And that's kind of why I expanded into doing faux too, is to help have her help because she never felt comfortable being a muralist. Now she's into, you know, she's three years older than me and now she's starting to draw and all that. I'm like, why didn't you do this 20 years ago? You know, we could have been muraling our butts off. But <laughs> I think you have to really trust somebody. It's great. I know couples two friends of mine, Dave Rock and Joe Padgett, and you might recognize their names. They're big, big, big. They have sweethearts that they trained and they're a team. And that's fabulous if you can be a team. My sweetheart is a fishing guide, so he doesn't paint. But we do things together, like he's very good at carpentry. So he'll put together like the crown molding and stuff. And then I'll do the chinoiserie or whatever, stuff like that. But he doesn't help me with the murals. But he's artistic. I know if he was younger, he might go in there, but start younger okay, and just keep going. But Train him. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't hire anybody off the street. It, it's really hard. I think I would stay small if it wasn't for my sister. Or you can still work for a company like Bass Pro. Or, there's a lot of companies that you can be a contractor for, too. Look into who does the theming. And a lot of times you can just subcontract. And I did that a lot with Semrock. And I know well, Jolly Miller's not anymore, but they were up in Seattle, Casa, Wisconsin. Just research who those contractors are building the sets. And then maybe you don't have to work for them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a really great idea of just, if anybody having a, getting their foot in the door, even being a subcontractor and that way people will teach you and then you can do it on your own later. I think that's, I think that's a, a great piece of advice. Okay. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I never really thought of that. Okay. Actually, so how would people find that? So say, so two bits that I'm catching from here of how to really start is to do a home show and then be a subcontractor. How would someone go about doing those two things? Who do they have to stalk on LinkedIn to find who it is? <laughs> well, I wouldn't stalk LinkedIn. It's hard because there's so many people in the business and I'm in LinkedIn that's how I found the paint high. Well, the you know, we found each other. But most important, build your portfolio and build your resume. There's an incredible thing called the IAPA. Have you ever heard of the IAPA? Uh-uh. What is that? It's the International Association of Amusement Parks. Something like that. Okay. It's, yeah. it's the international. So it's all the theme parks belong to IAPA. And they have a convention in Orlando every year or rotating every other year. And it's this huge convention of theming. And I had no idea what it was, but when I was working at, I think I was or working at SeaWorld, they let us all go to this thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that would be a really great place to throw my resume around. You can search. If I was going to try and find a job, I would think about going to Orlando and if you want to be in the theme parks, you got to be there, but Nickelodeon's there. The theme parks are there. There's lots of people that have their contractors that need stuff. Like I work for the NASA company. They're out of there still. 
And they're always needing artists because there's such turner huge projects going on and people move around. And so if I was going to do it again, I'd go back to Orlando and try to get a job in one of those companies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. And you can do a search on Craigslist, but I would go and see who the Google theming theme companies and then see where their addresses are. And some of them are LA is huge too, but it's so expensive to live out there that yes, say $90 an hour is really only $45 an hour out there. And you're going to have to commute. You're going to have to deal with the traffic and you're going to have to deal with all that. There's a lot of money there. There's a lot of money in Florida though, because a lot of muralists are operating in Miami and Orlando. You have tons of theme parks. Like I was dying when all my friends were working on the Pandora sets and the ham uh, Harry Potter sets. And I'm like, watching all my friends working on this. And I'm, <laughs> I want to, I want to, want to, but I just can't handle the five gallon buckets of concrete anymore. But yeah. it's such a wonderful lifestyle out there. And then at, at night you can go and watch the fireworks at night and have dinner. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. So <laughs> if, if anybody's maybe younger and, and doesn't have a family yet and can just hightail it to Orlando, highly recommend it. Okay. Well, and it's hard with COVID right now because the theme parks have been closed. Okay. So mm. You might wait a while. Yeah, that's <laughs> to, a good idea. You know, that, yeah, because everybody's going to want to be rehired, but there are things going on. And if you're footloose and fancy free, you might even look into China. Our crew went to China and built the Beijing Zoo. I didn't actually go because I ran a crew in SeaWorld instead of going over there after Portugal. But China is huge and booming and has tons of money and they're building buildings. So if you're, yeah, open your <laughs> eyes and they'll be opening up soon. So yeah. it depends on what you're comfortable with. Yeah, that's great. I think if I was, uh, you know, starting over and be 24, 25 again, and I, I would definitely, I actually applied to do Disney in Hong Kong. They were doing some renovations. I applied for it. I didn't get it, but I, that's, so that's exactly what I would do too. If I was a little bit younger and just wasn't married and all this stuff, but yeah, that's great advice. And I'm so excited. I, cause I have a feeling somebody's would fit that perfect mold and it's going to now reach out to somebody in Orlando at least and figure well, that out. Well, and once you get the connections, I was working for Manmore and Corp over in Europe. And then I was, working alongside a French company. It was Atelier Artistry de Boton, which means the shop of working artistry and rock. And they're out of Paris and they offered me a job. And because I was already under contract with Manmore and I said no, but they still retain friendships. I just saw my French buddy, I guess it was about two years ago, a year ago, something like that in Paris. Cause you retain those friendships. And once you're in that group just get a job if you get a job as a junior artist just meet everybody and make the contacts and then everybody on your crew will know hey they're hiring over here after this job and then you start buzzing around and and you get all the connections and then you're in yep and who does everything so you just get get in there a little bit and then you start to get to know people and it just flowers i'm sure <laughs> so yep. um taryn has a question so she says so you, you would just reach out to the zoo directly in china is that how you would reach out to the zoo or would you do like the contractors i would see if there's an american contractor working in china first because your visa and stuff your work visa but if you search, maybe you'll find a Chinese company trying to find an artist from America, but you better have credentials kind of with you. That's the problem is getting enough experience in and showing a big enough portfolio. China also hires people with degrees to teach English. Maybe that's a way to get in. But I, I think I would probably search, find out where, if there's a theme park that's being built. Find out who the contractors are if you can. And if you speak Chinese, you got bonus points there. But like in Portugal, we, our crew, I think there was 17 of us or something like that. And 50% of us were women working in concrete because of the employer. Dave Manwarren was very pro-female on his crews. So that's wide open on that side of it. It's physical, but... I'm seeing these not a lot of theme parks in Alaska. No, you got fishing though. Maybe you want to be a fishing guide and paint murals fishing for the fly shops. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So I think my credentials as an artist were elevated working at the theme parks, but I made the most money working in Arizona as a muralist. I did do, yeah, I did do the International Trompe L'Oeil Festival in Lodi, Italy. I think it was 2010. And that's a competition that you have to be invited. So you submit your portfolio and you say, I really want to come to the competition. And I think there was only three or four of us Americans there. So that was really good for your portfolio. And you can make connections with other people. But the Italians are trying to come over to America because of the work over here and the amount of money that you make over here. So China is probably not the best place to make the most money. But it would be a really incredible experience. You learn a different culture. I love living overseas. I lived in Japan, Portugal, and Holland. And it was wonderful. Now I have friends in Europe and I go over there a lot and just, hey, I'm kind of couch surf. It's nice to have the connections. Yeah, connections and everything. Yeah, and people people underestimate how much you can make in your home state too if you work for yourself. I think as soon as you you clock in for someone else, you, even if you're a contractor, I think it's a little bit harder to make as much. But if you work for yourself, set your own prices. Like it's just and it's you're your own boss. Well, I did notice because I went like I said I had a ranch in Colorado when I was making the big bucks. I went and bought a ranch. And I tried to transfer my business up there, but they were all into the log cabin look and everybody just wanted to color wash and they didn't want murals. Tucson is Hispanic, traditionally a mural area, just like LA, huge mural area. Orlando has murals because of the theme parks, but not quite as much as the Southwest. There's a huge tradition of murals there. So you might think about moving down there. I know there's Scottsdale, it's got big money and they wanted murals. So think about who you're going to market to. Oregon, not so much. There's murals here, but it's not like when I was down there, you were, people wanted murals because of the Tuscan thing and, and the tradition of, that's like the outdoor, the, the city art is so big now. It wasn't as big a thing as it was, as it is now doing all the murals outside. Yeah. So you got to know what your audience is. You got to know where the money is and you got to know what your boundaries are. If you want to stay in your hometown, you're going to have to build up your name and educate people. That's the main thing. Educate and don't complain about artists. I see a lot of comments on the mural section. Well, they offered me $500 and I'm just, oh, I told them no way. And it's because they are not educated. They don't understand that this is a, a kind of a luxury good and you have to educate them say, well, $500 isn't enough for the whole wall, but I could give you this for $500 and take it because then they say, Oh, they're so nice to work with. When I got this, it was really cool. But you really, it, that's the same thing. Like when I was saying about educating them about Disney stuff, make it as well. I'm not Disney. This is what I do. I can give you a, an original piece of artwork instead of imitating somebody else. Why don't you want something? Because I'm up and coming and your wall's going to be worth blah, blah, blah. Sell it. <laughs> yep, sell it. Yeah, you're right. It's If you're in an area where art isn't as prominent, there's good and bad to that because there's so much space for you to create art. That's how I got my start was a little big town, Springfield, Missouri, Mary Midwest. And their art just is not a big thing here. And I had to do exactly what you said. I had to make a name for myself. I had to get out and start doing the little stuff and eventually get the big stuff and educate people. Because here, like people like cringe. If, if I'm like, if I say, oh, the, this will be 5,000, they're like, ooh, what? I don't know. And so we would go down to two or whatever. But yeah, you're right. Exactly what you said. You've definitely, you've been through this. And I love talking about, I could talk about murals all day. <laughs> Me too. This is so much fun. Especially <laughs> with COVID. It's, you don't get to go out and hang out with your artist friends much anymore. It's such a wonderful thing, all these tools we have now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we've been on here for a little over an hour already. Is there <laughs> anything, is there any last bit of mural advice that you have? I know there's probably so much <laughs> but in the I, yeah it. and I, I have to say friend me on Facebook or Instagram follow me on Instagram I'm happy to answer any questions check out my contract a mural that's a kind of an overview on what you need to know as a kind of a beginner muralist watch for my other stuff the best thing I think is don't plagiarize do your own stuff be known for you And then people will seek you out because really 
who do you remember? The ones that can do a really good Disney or the ones that come up with their own original idea? That's where your big money comes from. So mm -hmm. true. So true. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of your mural wisdom. This is actually going to air during mural month. So May is mural oh, month. Fantastic. <laughs> I know, right? And yeah, thank you again so much. I've so enjoyed this. Maybe we should have a follow-up conversation, maybe about a specific subject or something, maybe six months down the line or something. I don't would know. love to. Okay. Would love to. I'll tell <laughs> awesome. you all my other stories. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited for that. It's okay. been really wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, yeah, I so enjoyed this. Yeah, where so where can people go to find you? Your website is that the the best spot? Well, I have AnnieMargarita.com, and that <laughs> has got some mural work, some leather work on it. I'm also at Annie Margarita Art on Instagram, and Annie Margarita or Annie Margarita at Mackenzie River Inn on Facebook. That is the best yeah. name ever. <laughs> oh my gosh. Awesome. Well, I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much again. And I'm so excited for the listeners to hear this. Thank you, sweetheart. Bye. And good luck, everybody. And just one more quick reminder that since May is Mural Month, I have created an extra special training for you to learn how to grow your own art business quickly using murals like I have. If you're listening this month and thinking, okay, let me see what this mural thing is all about. Then go to artistacademy.co to learn how you can start making money in the mural biz. The majority of my income comes from murals and I want to help you get started too because I know how profitable they can be. So go to artistacademy.co to claim your free training this month and I really hope that you are enjoying May Mural Month. I will see you next week.